0: Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins Podcast, your go-to daily podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, R.M. Leighton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we are going to briefly recap the brief series that the Marlins had in in Boston, which is set to resume on June 7th, I believe, June 6th or June 7th, one of those two days, and honestly, I think it worked out pretty well for the Marlins to kind of get out of there without having to play the third game. While they would have had Sandy Alcantara on the mound, and they would have had a better chance at winning that game than maybe the other couple, I don't know if Jazz Chisholm would have been back. I know they were talking about it and seeing if he would be ready to go, but just an extra off day for your ball club, back-to-back off days after not playing on Monday as well. That was pretty ideal. I think the team could really use it right now, even the healthy guys, and especially Jazz Chisholm, who can come back with a couple days of rest that he may not have had if he was forced to return right away on Sunday, which I think might have been the case given the Marlins were trying to avoid the sweep. So that series will resume, which I'm excited about because I want to see the Marlins at full strength playing in Fenway. It's always fun to watch them play there, as I talked about before, but we'll talk about this series coming up against the Blue Jays as it is a very quick one as well just two games as the two teams will play in Buffalo instead of Dunedin and if you thought Buffalo was a little bit of a launch pad for hitters last year then you should see Dunedin and when it comes to park factors Dunedin's right there with Coors Field in terms of just yielding the most home runs so the Marlins I don't know what I would have preferred frankly with the way this offense has looked as of late and with the way the starting pitching has been I think the Marlins are better off with a pitcher friendly environment or a more pitcher friendly environment given that it's their strength and Robbie Ray who's been pretty good this year we know how hot and cold Robbie Ray can be is a guy that's susceptible to giving up the long balls anyway whereas Sandy generally doesn't give up the long ball very much at all So I'd hate to see Sandy get cheated on a fly ball that would be an out in most ballparks. And we won't have to see that because they are playing in Buffalo. And while Buffalo in 2020, when it comes to ballpark index, in terms of just how much more offense or home run probability that park provides, they were still in the top third in the league as most hitter friendly ballparks. It's still nowhere near where Dunedin has been so far this season, yielding a higher run factor than every ballpark, not named Coors Field and a higher home run factor than every ballpark not named Great American Ballpark. And it's not just the total of home runs, because that could be influenced by, of course, the team that's playing in there the most. What this park factor does is it averages it against those players and everybody that has played there and what their averages are on the road and then compares that and kind of gives you a normalized baseline and that's where we get still ridiculous numbers from Dunedin so the Marlins don't have to deal with that which I think is good though it would be nice for the offense I think it's better off for the pitchers to try to keep this Blue Jays offense in check because no matter what if they're playing in a bandbox where the ball leaves the yard a ton They are not going to be able to keep up with the Blue Jays offense even if their offense is clicking So I like this for the Marlins the fact that they're playing in Buffalo and they played some good baseball in Buffalo last year Of course, they beat Anthony Bass late in the ball game And now Bass will return there and make his first career outing against his former team the Toronto Blue Jays So let's talk a little bit about the trends for this team before I get to that, I'm just going to briefly touch on this series with the Red Sox. I think it kind of went as we expected, right? Like they were not going to be able to put up much of an offense against them. They did scrap together quite a few hits. It was honestly amazing how many times Marlins had opportunities to bring runners in, runners in scoring position, and they stranded a bunch. So you could take that. In two different ways. One, the Marlins actually created chances, which they normally have not been doing with the very thin offense that they have, but on the flip side of it, they were not cashing in on those chances so it was frustrating the Marlins have typically been pretty good situationally did not happen in that Red Sox series and that was largely the difference one of the most encouraging things that I came away with from that series though was Jorge Alfaro really swinging it hitting an oppo bomb in ridiculously difficult elements to hit an oppo bomb and we know Alfaro has the power he looks great and if he can continue to swing it the way he's been swinging it man would that be a big boost for this team but even if he's swinging it the way he has in the past with how bad Chad Wallach and Sandy Leone have been, Alfaro is going to be a big boost for this team. He really just has to be better than a 450 OPS, and I think that's an easy task even for the inconsistent Jorge Alfaro. The good news is the Marlins have Alfaro back. They get Jazz back for this ball game as he's in the lineup, and we'll see Luis Marte make his debut as the game is set to kick off in about an hour and a half as I'm recording this. Excited to see Marte make his debut. Obviously, he's not a superstar. He's not going to be a centerpiece of the Marlins' future, and he probably isn't going to do that much for them right now. But given what Isan Diaz has been doing for this team, or not doing, I am very happy to just see a fresh face there and a hungrier face. It's something, there's something about Diaz that just rubs me the wrong way too. You know, he is obviously a pretty talented ballplayer, but when you look at the numbers overall, he had the great year in AAA, a good year in rookie ball, and then a lot of inconsistency in between. And I've always been a little bit skeptical on the bat speed, and I think that's really what's killing him now. And he's your typical candidate similar to Corey Dickerson that's really going to struggle with the dead and baseballs because they do not produce that much bat speed or high exit velos. But what really rubs me the wrong way is not that, because you can only control so much as a baseball player. What I don't love about Isan Diaz and the way he plays is that there is not a lot of heart there, or at least it doesn't look like it. There's not a lot of effort Typically, it just doesn't look like it And he just seems to be going through the motions Out there, and look, I know he's struggling And I know baseball is miserable When you're struggling, but you're fighting for Your major league life out there Or at least your major league life with the Marlins Out there, and it doesn't look like it He doesn't look like a guy that is really fighting for a spot. He looks like a guy that knows his spot will be gone no matter what he does effort-wise, and that somebody else will come in and replace him, and it's only a matter of time. He's almost just accepted that he's the de facto second baseman right now because the Marlins don't really have any other options. And he's just kind of cruising. At least that's what it looks like. And it's not fun to watch, especially when he's struggling. If he was struggling, but he's running hard 90s, he's laying out, and he's doing all those things, of course, I'd still be frustrated with the struggles. But at least you are looking at a player that's trying really hard. Even John Birdie. I think the Marlins need to start looking at infield options. And I'm going to get to that point later in this episode about some other trade options and why it seems to make more sense. Because this is something I've been thinking about a lot and how the Marlins can navigate this current situation. But even John Birdie, who is really, really struggling. He frankly hasn't been that much better than Isan Diaz. He is always playing the game hard, and it makes his struggles just much more palatable. At least you know you're getting something on the base paths. You're getting more defensive versatility. But the bottom line is neither of those guys are hitting, and it's been pretty brutal to watch. As for Diaz, over his last 49 at-bats, he has just five hits, and over his last 16 at-bats, he has just one hit. The bat speed just doesn't play for him, and he's just not a big leaguer, at least with the Marlins. He needs a change of scenery, he needs a swing change, he needs a lot of things, and the Marlins just aren't going to be the team that helps him get there at this point. If he ever does, I think it's time the Marlins move on, and like I said, at this point, you can't really get much worse production from a Luis Marte or even a struggling John Birdie. I mean, how much worse is he going to be than 5 for 49? The difference is, Marte and Birdie are going to play harder, they're better defensively, and they can run better, and you're getting value there at least. So for me, it just doesn't really make sense to keep Diaz on the roster. I'm assuming the second the Marlins can activate a couple guys as they brought Eliezer Hernandez on the trip with them. They also brought Lewis Brenton on the trip who will probably be activated in the next day or two. I think Eliezer can't be activated for another three days, but that still is going to lead to a subsequent move. We'll see if the Marlins go with one less pitcher or who they decide to move down and how they're going to go with all of that. But no doubt, Isan Diaz needs to be sent to AAA. And honestly, I think a change of scenery is probably best for him. I just sense that he does not really want to be here that much. Some of the cryptic posts he's made, he seemed almost shocked by you know almost just trying to take away what we can from that one Instagram story he put up after he was sent to AAA after he hit like 120 in spring training and Jazz Chisholm went off, it just seemed like there's a disconnect there. And I just don't know if Isan Diaz needs to be uh, getting at-bats for the Major League Ball Club for the Marlins any longer. As for the rest of the offense, before I talk about some other options for the Marlins in the infield outside of the organization, and then talk about the Blue Jays a little bit and what the Marlins can expect from those guys, I wanted to just go over Adam Duvall because Adam Duvall has brought so much defensive value. There's no doubt about that. As I've mentioned time and time again, one of the highest defensive war in baseball. I mean, he's been that good in the outfield, but Adam Duvall has been near worthless at the plate, and you might look at the numbers and say, worthless? That's a bit harsh. He has nine home runs and he's in the top five or six in the NL and runs batted in. Sure. That is true. Yet, his offensive war is about .2, maybe even worse than that, and Yeah, war doesn't tell the whole story. I agree. But neither do the bulk numbers. And by bulk numbers, I mean just the overall stats for the season. Adam Duvall has decent production numbers with the nine home runs and the 33 driven in. But you also are not getting that on a daily basis. And nobody hits every single day. It's baseball. It's hard. But Adam Duvall is a non-factor at the plate for a stretch of five, six, seven days sometimes. Then he goes off for a couple days and then goes back to non-factor you can't win that way especially when Duvall is driving in a large portion of your runs you can't be feast or famine and with Duvall if you take away His two best games of the season, just two games. With a pitcher, this is a different kind of thing because two games can make a big difference this early in the season. Two games for a hitter should not matter. But Adam Duvall, if you eliminate his one crazy game against the Braves and then one other ball game where he was solid, he is a 185 hitter with six home runs, 22 driven in and a 75 WRC plus. That's just eliminating his two best games. While it's not the most earth-shattering statistic in the world because his numbers aren't really that gaudy as is, to see him hitting 185 with six home runs and 22 driven in, you'd say, "Oh man, he's really, really struggling." But he's kind of just towed the line of being bad and kind of producing, where it hasn't been this frequent topic of like, Duvall has been miserable. But aside from those couple games, he really overall, on a day-to-day basis, has been pretty miserable. And it's really tough because I love the defense. He's among the league leaders in outfield assists, and there's a lot of value to that. But this Marlins team is predicated on pitching. Their defense, when healthy, is strong across the infield. It's strong in center field with Marte. Sure, it could be better in the corner with Dickerson, but I don't really care about defense at this point because the Marlins need to score. They have great pitching. They have ground ball heavy pitchers. So outfield may not be as important important defensively as infield. And the good news is the healthy Marlins have one of the best defensive left sides of the infield in baseball between Miguel Rojas and Brian Anderson. Then they have Jazz Chisholm at second base, who is a phenomenal defender. Jesus Aguilar is an underrated defender at first base, no doubt in my mind. And we'll see how Alfaro is behind the dish. But that is a really good defensive infield. Marte is a good captain in center. And you can get by with two subpar corner outfield guys, if that's what it takes to have more offense. The other aspect to this that I think makes things interesting is even though we are seeing Jesus Aguilar struggle, is anybody really alarmed about Jesus Aguilar? I'm not. I think he's going to be just fine. I mean, he was as hot as any hitter in baseball through the beginning of the season. He has absolutely no protection. He's the one guy that you really don't want to face in the Marlins lineup, or at least that was how it was for the last couple weeks. And so he was just not seeing as many pitches to hit. And he's a guy that has a high zone contact rate and just doesn't get beat very often, but he's seeing a lot more pitches outside the zone, borderline pitches, and it's just not the way he typically gets pitched to. But the reason why I'm talking about that is Garrett Cooper is on a tear, an absolute tear. And he'll be making starts at at first base. I'm sure they'll want to give Aguilar days off here and there. But still, you have to think about it like this. Would you rather have Jesus Aguilar getting at bats or would you rather have both Dickerson and Duvall? I think the answer is pretty clear. I'd rather have Aguilar in the lineup and one of Dickerson and Duvall not in the lineup. Let's say Duvall is out. You put Cooper in right. Huge defensive downgrade. Don't get me wrong. I understand that. And if you really want the defense to be more important then maybe you put Duvall in left but there's no reason again we're kind of getting back to that original point that if Cooper's finally swinging the way he's capable of and we know Aguilar is going to come back around this offense needs every bit of help it can get then the Marlins may need to look to move on from one of these corner outfielders if Jesus Sanchez is looking like an option as well, because the thing is, is you don't trade before you have a proven option, right? Like we don't know if Jesus Sanchez is going to hit right away at the major league level. But I still think the Marlins can do it because if Cooper is finally settling into being the Garrett Cooper we've seen the last two years and assuming Jesus Aguilar can man first base most of the time then why have your two corner outfielders be incredibly inconsistent when you could have Garrett Cooper in the lineup every single day? I know he's a liability at times in the outfield, but so is Corey Dickerson at times. And while Dickerson may be slightly better, I know Duvall is fantastic out there, but I don't really care at this point. It's too important to get the offense for this team. So you call up a Jesus Sanchez in the next week or so as it'll time up with his clock and then if he struggles, I really don't think you're kicking yourself really hard about trading a Corey Dickerson. I don't think there's a team in baseball that would really want Dickerson right now unless the Marlins swap bad contracts because he's owed a lot of money. The Marlins would probably have to eat a decent amount of the contract, so that would be a whole ordeal there. Uh, Dickerson you know, is still a guy that can hit you for average, and he's been doing a decent job of that for the Fish, but just no production, and they need production. So if you go and trade a Corey Dickerson, let's say, then you can slot Duvall in left and you can slot Cooper in right. If you call up Jesus Sanchez, he can split time between both corners depending on how you want to play it. Easy platoon option with Duvall in left. Also, can put him in right when you give either Cooper or Aguilar the day off as we've seen the Marlins love to give those two guys days off and back to back days off sometimes so if that's the case then it makes perfect sense you're going to get plenty of at bats for Jesus Sanchez you can even shelter him from lefties you still have your guy Duvall that you can put in late in ball games as a defensive replacement that will still be getting a bulk of the at bats against lefties and be able to do a lot of different things for you still I just don't think he's an everyday player due to his inconsistencies and he's comfortable Coming off the bench. So, of course, he's a great spot starter and a great platoon guy but he's a platoon guy. He really is, and I think that's how you have to look at it right now when you look at the Red Sox, Hunter Renfro. He is kind of like Duvall, a ton of power, a great defender, but inconsistent at the plate. If there's injuries, you have him in the lineup every day. Right now, the Marlins have injuries. You have him in the lineup every day. But the Marlins were having him in the lineup every single day when they didn't have injuries. And for the Red Sox, they mostly deploy Renfro as a platoon guy, and I'm interested to see what they do if they call up their sweet-swinging, left-handed hitting prospect, Jaron Duran, who doesn't quite have the prospect pedigree of Jesus Sanchez, but is putting up great numbers and is a good athlete, I could see him as a platoon option. So I think the Marlins are in a similar situation to some other teams, but I think you got to get Jesus Sanchez those at-bats, you can shelter him from lefties, and he can help you win right now, I really don't see the need of starting both Duvall and Dickerson, right? If the Marlins were talking about and Kim Ang was talking about ahead of this season, I want to get the prospects at-bats. I don't want to block anybody and all that good stuff. Sure, that's fine. But let's see that actually happen, right? If you're not going to go get big name free agents and you hide behind that explanation, I'll give you that explanation. But right now we're looking at a struggling offense. You got a dude with an OPS of like 1200 in A that looks phenomenal. And you instead are playing two veterans on expiring contracts in both your corners that are not really helping you that much right now. That is where I don't really understand. You can't play both sides. So let's see what happens. I'm assuming that Sanchez gets called up in a week. If he doesn't, then I'm going to lose my mind. And also, the Marlins need to... Go address the infield, which I'm going to talk about a little bit as well, and how I've been able to finally kind of reason with myself into the Marlins making a move that helps them now and then also helps them beyond when we see Rojas come back and Ryan Anderson come back, but also does not mortgage the future. I'm going to get to all that and of course a little bit of information on the Jays as the Marlins are ready to visit them for two games in Buffalo in just a moment. Before I get to all of that, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Sports Trade. Sports Trade is where fantasy meets the stock market. It's like Robin Hood for Fantasy Sports. Their platform allows you to buy and sell shares of your favorite players, just like real stocks, a fair and exciting way to cash in on your knowledge of sports. And they just added baseball to the platform, so go check it out. Making money on sports trade is as simple as a player's value rises or falls based on two factors. One, their statistical performance in each game as compared to their projected fantasy points in that game. The more points scored, the higher their value goes. And two, Good old supply and demand. The more demand a player has, the higher their value goes as well. When you're ready to buy shares, pick that penny stock in a rookie with huge upside or grab a blue chip vet who's always a solid performer. You can instantly buy and sell as many shares as you'd like and as many players as you'd like, just like the stock market. Simply go to sportstrade.com and watch the how it works video and then sign up and get started. Sign up today at sportstrade.com and discover the fun, exciting and profitable new world of sports trading Also brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sports. Locker Room is the perfect place to start or join conversations about the league. You'll find fans just like you in Locker Room for watch parties, debates, Post game breakdowns and of course reacting to the big news or rumors you'll have a chance to chat with me this week i'll be hosting a locker room after one of the jays games this series and you can follow me at rmlaton8 on the app all you have to do is download the app on your ios device join the mlb group and then follow me at late 8 to be notified when my room goes live locker room changing the way we talk about sports lastly Brought to you by our friends at none other than Built Bar. Nine delicious flavors. The occasional limited time flavor as well. Coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate and salted caramel. So there's a flavor for Everybody, And they all are roughly 17 grams of protein, only 130 to 180 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, only 4 grams of net carbs. They're covered in chocolate, easy to chew, and great for a keto diet. Whether you're looking to lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat, Built Bar is perfect for you. All you have to do is go to builtbar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, and that's LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15, LOCKED15, for 15% off your first order at BuiltBar.com. So let's get back to talking Marlins and about how this team can help itself now and also make sense for the future, right? Because when I talk about future, I'm not even talking about 2022, 2023. I'm talking about the end of this year, because if you go out and get somebody, I've seen people talk about Adam Frazier and Adam Frazier of the pirates now leads the league in hits. So Adam Frazier is not going to come cheap. He is well-rounded and, He is a guy that just puts the bat on the ball, a rarity in today's game, a left-handed bat that can play all over the field, and is just doing well. There's going to be a lot of teams bidding for his services. And for the Marlins, the price, or for anybody, the price that it's going to cost for Adam Frazier, now I'm not saying he's going to get a King's Ransom, but it's going to be some decent prospects going to the Pirates there, a rebuilding team that's going to command a pretty high price for him. He's cheap, he's controllable. It's not going to be easy to get Adam Frazier. For the Marlins, of course, he makes sense on paper, right? Adam Frazier would fit right in. He can play all over, and he definitely helps them now. But there's a bit of a cost-reward balance here that you always have, of course, with trades, but even more so in this situation for the Marlins, because you get Frazier, and then Miguel Rojas eventually comes back, Brian Anderson eventually comes back, and Jazz Chisholm is playing second base. Where does Frazier play? Yes, he can also play the outfield, but you're hoping Jesus Sanchez will play out there. You're also trying to find at-bats for Cooper out there, and you're still trying to figure out what the hell you're going to do with Duval and Dickerson. So if you have to give up a couple top 30 prospects for Adam Frazier, and Frazier now slots into your lineup, and he's a great piece, right? But where does he play when people come back? And, yeah, you could say that's a great problem to have. That's trouble in paradise. Sure, it is. But do you want to give up prospects for essentially somebody that's going to help you for the next month? You're going to find a way to get him in the lineup, but somebody is going to play less because of it. And you're going to have to figure some things out. And I just don't know if... For my perceived price on what Adam Frazier would be, I just don't know if it totally makes sense for the fish. If you're going to trade assets, and I'm all for the Marlins trading assets at this point, don't get me wrong, but if you're going to do that, then you need to be looking at pieces that are a part of your future. Trading Zach Gallen is trading an asset, a damn good asset, but they got a really darn good one as well that was a big part of the future. If you're going to trade a top 30, top 15, top 10 prospect, I want it to be for somebody that is part of the plans beyond this year, and maybe Frazier could be part of the plans beyond this year, but then again, you're going to have to try to figure out where this guy's going to go, and you're buying super high on him after he just kind of blew up this year. Yes, he had a good year last year at times, and he has shown that he can hit, but I just don't like the idea of buying super high on him, so that kind of leads me into my general point here, and that's why I floated Freddy Galvis as an option, because he'd be very cheap for the Marlins, and you help yourself now. You don't have to give up a ton prospect wise and you can save those assets to go get a bigger fish right? You could go trade for a bigger fish, because I think the Marlins are waiting for the right opportunity. We know they're going to spend a little bit, or at least we would hope so. It makes sense that they're going to spend a little bit in this offseason, but I also think they're going to pounce with one or two prospect trades, like we saw the Padres do. They didn't trade any of their elite, elite prospects other than Luis Patino, but that got them Blake Snell, who's been struggling, but Blake Snell was coming off of really leading his team to the World Series, and he's a former Cy Young winner. So, that is what you got from giving up your Luis Patino, but But other than that, they were able to get a really good catcher. They were able to get a lot of other pieces without really giving up their top, top end talent. They got Mike Clevenger without giving up their most elite prospects. A lot of really solid ones, but they had such a good system that they were able to do that. The Marlins can do that as well. They can give up a bunch of prospects in the 8 to 15 range and get some good players. But just because you have assets prospect-wise doesn't mean you just trade to trade. Just like just if you have money doesn't mean you just spend to spend. We saw that with the 2012 Marlins, and we learned that the hard way. So with the Marlins here, you don't want to just give away prospects, but I do think you're looking for the right opportunity to pounce. I don't think this is the time to pounce, given you don't know when Anderson and Rojas are going to be back, but you know they're going to be back well before the end of the season, right? They're going to be back hopefully in the next month, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. We'll see so i think the obvious choice here for the marlins is to go for the low cost guy on an expiring deal by low cost i mean prospect wise maybe eat a little bit of money and go that route, because if your team flames out this year, even after the acquisition, then you're going to be kicking yourself if you gave something up. Like the Blue Jays giving up Griffin Conine for Jonathan VR, who did nothing for them. That is one of those where it's like, OK, the move makes sense. The price wasn't that high, but you gave up still a top 20 prospect in your system, maybe better than that. And then you lost in the first round and VR didn't do much for you. So for the Marlins, I'm looking at a trade along those lines, maybe even a little bit cheaper than that that and somebody that Eli Sussman brought up a fist stripes said I really like as an option is Eduardo Escobar. Because Eduardo Escobar can play all over the infield. He can play second, shortstop, third. I would prefer him at second or third, but he could play all over. And that's a huge bonus for this Marlins team right now. Escobar is leading the NL and runs batted in. He is red hot as of late. He started slow. He was absolutely fantastic in 2019, had a bit of a down year in 2020. But I really throw out a lot of the struggles for some guys in 2020. It was just weird for so many players. And the D-backs were just kind of underachieving across the board. It wasn't just him. Ketel Marte was struggling. A few other really good good hitters on that team. We're struggling, so I really think it was a little bit of a contagious thing for them, but Escobar, a switch hitter that could play different spots in the infield, it seems to make sense, and the reason why I like Escobar is he's a little bit expensive, and I know that seems backwards, you like him because he's a little expensive, but the Marlins can probably get him for almost nothing. His deal expires this year, and he's owed $7.6 million this season. If the Marlins pull the trigger a little bit sooner, it's a bit of a catch-22. The earlier you acquire a guy on an expiring deal, the sometimes more expensive he can be, because you're getting more games out of him. But on the flip side of that, if it's an expensive contract, it's going to be more money that you have to pay him. And maybe the D-backs want to get out from under that, given the COVID financial issues, though, we're getting back to normal. But if you're losing, why pay this guy $7 million to continuously lose? We saw the Marlins already make the deal for Marte. The D-backs were able to dump that contract, though it was a good contract for the Marlins. Didn't make sense for the D-backs. Here's another one, $7.6 million, and I think the Marlins could kick in a decent prospect and get the D-backs to eat the cost or they can offer a low return of maybe Magnaris Sierra and Jorge Guzman for example which I think is actually a fine return for him on an expiring deal a 32 year old bad year in 2020 just starting to heat up this year for a team that really doesn't need him you're getting still a young outfielder with speed a guy that you can plug in as your fourth outfielder right away I don't like Magnara Sierra but he still is a fourth outfield type and a good defender and a very cavernous outfield in Arizona so his defense will play even better out there and Guzman is that high upside still extremely volatile extremely extremely volatile but the D-backs love their arms and love their ability to, to develop arms and maybe they see something in a Jorge Guzman and think that they can unlock a bit more out of him or maybe they want one of those other young pitching prospects the Marlins have in the 20 to 30 range in their system in the rankings that is and that's fine too because the Marlins have had so many good pitching prospects emerge that I think a few of them are expendable as Humberto Mejia was last year could be someone along those lines as well. That deal seems to make a lot of sense for me especially because even when the return of Rojas and Anderson happens You have a switch-hitting Escobar, who I know the Marlins, again, kind of to piggyback on the same point. They're going to want to take it pretty easy with Brian Anderson, whose shoulder popped out and back in on a swing. And Miggy Rowe, they're going to want to take it easy with, too. They already were taking it pretty easy with him. And now with that broken finger, they're going to take their time with him. So those two guys are going to be getting some days off as well. Jazz Chisholm is a high-energy guy that's already tweaked some muscles. He could probably use a day off or two. And you have a switch-hitting Escobar who can fill in in a lot of different spots. And you know, give you those spot starts, and give those guys a day off all over the infield. So while he can hold you down and give you a lot more offensive output while you are struggling right now with tons of injuries, he makes sense when everybody comes back as well. Whereas an Adam Frazier, you want that guy playing every day. He leads the NL in hits. You would have to either bench Brian Anderson, Jazz, or Miggy Rowe, or put him in the outfield, which would be the only other solution, right, is if you put him in the outfield and then just scrap Dickerson. But then you're having another guy out there that could be blocking Jesus Sanchez. I know, I know, it's a lot. And this is an ongoing discussion that we'll talk about. I think that the Jesus Sanchez call-up and then how he performs is going to be a huge factor into what the Marlins do next. Maybe you can go get that outfield, infield type and be able to plug him in both spots if jesus sanchez struggles if he succeeds then maybe you go get some infield depth because the important part too is that if you go get an eduardo escobar he's also a huge upgrade from john birdie off the bench who's been really brutal so even when you are relegating him to a you know kind of utility super utility role where he'll still get three starts plus a week and be your first bat off the bench then you are still getting a huge upgrade there off the bench, which I think is very important, especially as a switch hitter. So Escobar worth looking at. Same with Freddy Galvis, who's also a switch hitter. Both those guys are going to come pretty cheap, and both of those guys are on teams that the Marlins have comfort trading with. They've traded with the Orioles recently. They've traded with the D-backs recently multiple times for both teams, so it seems to make quite a bit of sense. They're comfortable with both front offices. Already running a bit long here, so we'll quickly talk about what's been going on with this Blue Jays offense because it's pretty electric right now. I can't lie. Marcus Semien is one of the hottest hitters in baseball over the last 15 days. He has been Really good and a great pickup. A lot of people are kind of overlooking Semyon after a down year. He moves to second base for the majority of these games, and he has been just unreal. Heating up, hitting 3.77, four home runs. He's 20 for his last 53. That's a guy that could give the Marlins some fits in this series. Teoscar Hernandez really heating up as well, and that guy hits the ball as hard as anybody. I mean, smacks the baseball. And talk about a late-blooming outfield prospect. That's a guy to look at. That's the reason why you can almost look at somebody like Teoscar and say, okay, it's not all left for dead always when they struggle out of the gate. He was a high-end prospect. He really struggled, and now he's figured it out. And then Randall Gritchuk has been hot for the Jays as well, which is just annoying. If Randall Gritchuk is who beats the Marlins, that's just kind of annoying. I don't really have another word for that, but he has been... Really, really good as of late as well. 18 for his last 54. That's a 333 clip, three home runs. And then Vlad Guerrero Jr. is playing like an MVP candidate. I mean, there's just no way around that. Five home runs, his last 13 games, also hitting 333. This is an offense that's really clicking. The only guys that are struggling are Bo Bichette. Kevin Biggio has kind of played his way out a little bit, and we've seen a bit more of Joe Panic, believe it or not. And you know what? The Marlins could really use a Joe Panic right now, but the Jays probably aren't giving him up because he's been pretty valuable for them and has been a good bench piece. Man, Joe Panic, you just wonder why the Marlins couldn't pick up one of those guys and just have them succeed like some of these under the radar players have for other ball clubs. But the Marlins have had their moments with that as well. And you know, it all kind of goes around and comes around. John Birdie was that guy for a little bit and just hasn't put it together. Of course, Joe Panic has a lot of pet. A lot of postseason pedigree and an interesting player and good to see him make his way back to the big leagues. Also, the Marlins will have to face Alec Manoa, a Miami native who I love as a prospect. I mean, I think this guy is the real, real deal. Been talking about him on Locked On MLB Prospects for months now. Have highlighted him as one of the most underrated prospects in baseball. And I think if you haven't seen him pitch yet, you're about to see why. The Marlins are going to struggle against him. There's just no way around it. The fastball is Lively, The slider is a frisbee and he's got a good feel for the changeup. He's comfortable throwing that frisbee slider against lefties and righties. It's going to be a big challenge for the fish and he is likely to go in game two of this series. That's going to be a fun one to watch uh, if you like good pitching, but it's going to be a tough one for the Marlins as they don't have much info on Manoa. He has only thrown so many innings in the minor leagues. A large portion of his limited innings were in low A ball, and then he made a few starts in A, and that was it. So there's not that much on him, and he seems to be very adaptable. He's hard to pick up exclusively works out of the stretch and I'm going to be really excited to watch him pitch. Frankly, I hate that it's going to be against the Marlins because I really think that this guy has a legitimate case for rookie of the year. If he can get enough starts under his belt, he's going to be really, really tough to hit for big leaguers across baseball and a great piece to help bolster the Jays postseason run as they really try to put it together. Finally, still no George Springer. So the Marlins are able to avoid him, but The bad news is their offense has been pretty hot as of late. They've won four of their last six, but they did go on a little bit of a losing spell before that against the Red Sox and the Rays. So we will see how the Marlins play the Blue Jays in this two-game set. I will say they played them well last year. And it will be an interesting opportunity for the Marlins to try to right the ship a little bit. They do get some reinforcements back. A lot more to talk about this week. I'm looking forward to recapping the game tomorrow and also talking about the minor leagues and everything across the Marlins organization as we move forward. Hopefully, the Marlins can climb back closer to 500. As always, thank you for listening. I hope you had a great Memorial Day weekend. Thank you to those who have served our country and especially those who paid the ultimate sacrifice and their families so that we can be here today and enjoy baseball and all of the things that we love. Salute to all those who have served, and thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking Marlins baseball with you tomorrow.